Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. This is just to let you know that the Cinema Catch-Up Club has an official Patreon page. If you'd like to become an official member of the club and get some bonus goodies, including early access material and bonus features only available to our patrons, then please join up at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. And now for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the programme for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host Stephen Platt, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode, and this week our feature film is turning 50 years old. That's right, we're watching the 1969 road movie, Easy Rider. And as you can see, our two guests are very excited. Uh, joining us, uh, playing the part of the motorbike and having not seen the film before, it's Katrina Johnston. Hi, Stephen. How are you, Katrina? I'm very good. Um, who are you, Katrina, and what do you do? Uh, I'm a third-year lighting designer um, at WAPA, um, third-year lighting design student, I should say. Uh, and and what am I? I am I am a person who has yet to see this film. That's what I am. So I'm curious then, mm. uh, what do you know about Easy Rider? I know it has, oh, what's his name? Dennis Hopper in it. Yep. Um, and it actually took me the whole drive over. I was like, wait, is it Dennis Quaid or is it Dustin Hoffman? No, no, that's not right. Mm. I knew it was quite a big name in mm. it. And it's, I think it's one of his first films that really sort of pushed him into, into fame. Mm. Um, and I know it's about riding through the American country, which is why I brought my, my um, road trip snack. Which is clinkers? Yes, uh, clinkers, a delicious Australian delicacy. If you're listening in England, uh, continue laughing at the name (laughs) clinkers for a confection. Um, So I've also not seen Easy Rider, Mm. um, so I'm quite looking forward to um, experiencing what this film is about. So what are you expecting, I guess? Uh, I'm expecting motorbikes because i'm pretty sure it's it, uh, easy rider refers it looks to like a it type the, of motorbike it looks like it from the dvd um, cover i'm expecting probably a bit of subtle sexism disguised as sexual liberation since the time of the film mm, um and i have seen like a five like a 10 second clip of this mm. uh, film from a documentary mm-hmm. so and from memory of that I'm expecting some experimental kind of stuff and some really awesome moustaches. All right. Well, joining us as a guest who has seen the film and knows whether or not Easy Rider contains all those things, it's Murray Jackson. Hello, Stephen. How are you, Murray? I'm very well today. Good. Uh, who are you, Murray, and what do you do? Well, I'm Murray, and I work in finance, and I, I'm struggling every time to try and make that sound exciting. It's not, Murray. It's not. It really isn't. But you have seen it's okay. Easy You've got Road. a moose named after you. That's true. I do have a moose named after me. Yay, Canada. So, uh, you have seen Easy Rider. I have. Um, quite some years ago, from memory... Um, and my memories of it are hazy. Okay. Um, but yeah, ask away. Okay, well the main question I have is, do you remember enjoying the film? Stephen, I do remember my reaction to the film, um, and I, I don't want to dampen it, really, for, for anyone before we've seen it. Um, my, my memory of the film was, I, I came away going, oh, 
Is that it? Really? Okay. Hmm. Um, because it really was um, at the time of its release, I suppose, one of the you know, the big counterculture films of the decade, hmm. and it really kicked off a a, a, a decade or more of auteur filmmaking in Hollywood. This this film plus films like um, Bonnie and Clyde um, really saw the, the end of the, the, the studio system per se and, and entered in an era of throwing great wads of money at talented young filmmakers to go and make whatever the hell they wanted to. And really, um, you know, this film was really important in... Um, a really great decade of films that came in the 1970s. So it does have that going for it. Okay. Um, and before we get into it, I should ask, what's the best road trip you guys have been on? Because we live in Australia, a country that is basically one big road trip turned into a nation. Um, do, do you have a favourite uh, road trip that you've done, either domestically or internationally? I can't say I have a favourite road trip. I'm not not a big fan of road trips, particularly now that I drive, because I'm quite terrible mm-hmm. at driving them. Because as, I, as soon as I get into the driver's seat, I'm like, I just want to go to sleep now. That's um, a very bad habit to get into. Yes, driving. yes, yes. That's a very bad, which is possibly why I don't do road trips very often. Mm. Um, I do have some very early memories of road trips, though, because uh, my family originally comes from over east, and we. When we moved to Perth, uh, we drove, and mm. I have a memory of crawling out of the back seat of my family's car to sit to go sit next to my mum as we were driving across the Nullarbor. Oh, lovely! Yeah. Murray, any road trips standing out for you? Um, I actually remember um, quite fondly a um, a bus tour of all things in um, the country of your birth, Stephen. Ah, some thirty odd years ago in um, in the UK, travelling from. London all the way up into Scotland and Wales and everywhere. Mm. Um, and, yeah, having some really quite interesting days and nights. Okay. For um, me, um, I've, I've there's two that jump to mind. One is UK-based. Um, my family used to go up to Scotland from um, the Peak District for a holiday for about three or four years running. We'd drive up to Scotland. That road trip was always pretty fun. Uh, a bit wet usually, but, um, but it was always... A really nice one particularly when you get into scotland and you've mm. got all the beautiful locks mm. uh but australian based i have done the perth to melbourne uh, across the nullarbor um trip uh which was for a touring uh production of the winter's tale oh, and yes. yes um i i remember sleeping a lot that's the main thing i remember because i couldn't drive at the time um so you were one of the lucky ones <laughs> yes i was essentially uh, luggage but it was it was, <laughs> i remember it being really um really it was getting to see things like i'd never been to the great australian bite mm. properly before and seeing that was fantastic so there you go there's some road trips for us uh but we should probably get into watching easy rider yes Yes, indeed. Okay, for those of you who are uh, watching at home, pop in your DVDs and hop on your hog as we watch Easy Rider. And 
Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching Easy Rider. By we, I, of course, mean my guests, Katrina and Murray. Hey, man. Wow. Far out. It certainly was, guys. Uh, Katrina, that was your first time watching Easy Rider. What did you think? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's entirely fair. Cause, um, th- yeah, my first time watching yeah. it as well, and I would, would wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. <laughs> I think we were entirely too sober. Yeah, potentially. I honestly, I agree. Yeah, I think go- I think this is a film which, um, obviously, it's got very obvious leanings into drug culture and looking at what mm. it was like in the late sixties. Would that be all the drugs that they were using? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it might be the various types of drugs that we saw used <laughs> in this film. Um, it's to be fair, we only saw three types of drugs used: alcohol, oh, I've, uh, LSD. I don't, I don't include alcohol. In pot, that. well, yeah. And yeah. a little smattering of cocaine. And some cocaine, yeah. yeah. You know, all the all the all the, all the mm. classics. Mm. Um, I I quite like this though. Like, even though I'm I'm coming out of it going that that was odd. Um, I yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it took me a little while to get into it, but by the end, I was you know I was quite shocked by the end and quite taken aback. Um, so I guess that that sort of shows that it had an effect on me. Mm. Uh, and I actually cared about the, the the two main characters. Yeah, I mean, the plot, such that it is, mm. is essentially watch Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda ride on bikes for ninety minutes and do drugs and essentially just experience the sixties. Yeah, um, it felt quite. Um, it felt a bit like a modern western in some some elements. And mm. I think, given that the main characters are called Billy and Wyatt, that, yeah. that might have mm. been something that was a deliberate choice. Mm. Um, it, 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 it really felt like it was a meditation on the time period in which the film was being made. Uh, oh, you, very much. Yeah. It was very much an ode to Americana and, mm. and um, that whole vibe that there was of us against them as in, like, you know, the... The, the, the young uh, counterculture of the time against mm. the establishment. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's seen especially in the second half when they start encountering that mainstream culture, mm. uh, much to their detriment. Yeah, and I I wasn't expecting the, the examination of um, counterculture stuff to be what it was in this film because mm. we see... Um, we, we see that they're outcasts, you know, we see that they're not allowed to stay in motels, no one will let them stay, even if there's vacancies, so they're mm. camping out, sleeping in swag bags and that kind of thing. Um, and then we, obviously, they meet the hippies, and they we experience a counterculture that our protagonists aren't necessarily familiar with. Yeah. And then, yeah, the second half turns quite antagonistic, and... Um, like, it was quite pleasant, really. I think it's the further until... south they go. Yeah, and that... That really interested me because particularly that bit felt very prescient. Yeah. Um, if, even 50 years on, it does seem as though that culture clash within America between um, the South and the rest, essentially, um, is, is, is still something that's very present in, yeah. in American society. And it's interesting seeing how it's portrayed from the perspective of very much from these we know at least um, Billy, uh, sorry, not Billy, uh, Wyatt, Peter Fonda's character, we know mm. at the very least he's from Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and how they're from this, I suppose, the Yankee uh, side of, of um, American society. And it was just fascinating watching that play out in this film, and I wasn't expecting it. 
Mm. I think the 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 some of the allegory in this is, is laid on fairly fairly thick mm. um, to a point where it's almost caricature, really, isn't it? You know mm. the, <laughs> the the slack jawed yokels with guns, um, you know, threatening them. Yeah, they'll never get out of town, type of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, but is that? I think that the the idea is that. Um, our, our two heroes, as it were, are, you know, they're emblematic of the times and in, in, in the way that they're young and they're free and mm. they just go wherever the road takes them, man. Mm. And here you've got society in the form of the townspeople saying, we don't accept that and you know, you're you're Let's strange and weird. Let's just go randomly and... shoot them as we drive past yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> well, they weren't trying to kill him. They were trying to scare him and they... Killed him. Killed him, yeah. It was... I'll be honest. That ending, it did feel as a bit like oh, we've got to we've got to do an ending, guys. But yeah. also, this whole thing did feel like a very subtle tragedy. And you know, we see particularly the character of Wyatt yeah. is having lots of issues with. I think he finding himself. Yeah, I think he doesn't know his place, and that's yeah. why I feel like the first half is him him looking at different options, going, "Oh, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe I could, I could join a commune," and then. And then as it progresses, I feel like he, he feels like he can't. He mm. can't join them. He can't go and, and join those other nice areas because, I don't know. Well, because he's a drug not, dealer. He's a, he's, a, he's a criminal. I mean, they are smuggling cocaine between different mm. spots. Um, you know, you've got Phil Spector buying drugs mm. off them um, at the airport and... Um, yeah, I think basically, you know, these are outcasts. And the fact is, is I think that Billy... Billy is someone that very much uh, doesn't mind who he is, Dennis Hopper's no. character. He's very comfortable with being essentially a bit of a sleaze, a bit of a low life Scum, basically. Um, he mm. seems to have, like... He's viewed like that as a bit dangerous and a roughhouser, I guess. And he's kind of embraced that. And I don't think Wyatt ever fully does. No. And he's a strong, silent type. Yeah. And it's he just wants, I think, just wants to find his place to belong, mm. but knows he doesn't belong in the mainstream culture in the rat That's race. That's very emblematic too of yeah. the, the once again of of the times and and um, you know what the um, the themes that were were running hot at that time. You know, this is what a, a decade after Kerouac um, wrote, you know, on the road. Mm. Yeah. Um, so there was that whole uh, push towards, you know, get out west, be free, embrace free love, um, be yeah. a free spirit, connect with yourself, um, all this you know, hippie, seems, hippie dippy bullshit. Yeah, um, it seems in a way to sort of struggle with but also encourage the idea of community and society mm. because really they're getting away from the city, which is... A society of one of one description wanting to create their own community and trying to I guess maybe just trying to find that difference without even realizing that they are yeah and it's interesting in that um, you you feel Stephen that that ending was to a certain degree sort of like tacked on or Mm. or written in a hurry I I actually didn't so much think that I, I actually thought that the what they were trying to say there in a very in-your-face way was, look, you can have all these dreams of freedom and so on, but 
the man will always try and put you down. Yeah, that's what I felt as well. I felt that the ending was abrupt, hmm. but I I think it kind of with with the death of George and and their weird trip out in the cemetery, hmm. um, kind of that it made sense. Oh yeah, I that mean evolution. The story absolutely made sense that hmm. one or both of them were going to die. The way it's been set up is you know this is. No. In a way, Wyatt is very much concerned with what his death will mean. Not so much like he he's, he has these premonitions of crashing yeah. and of of dying and and I suppose dying before he gets old. Mm. But it's not so much that that's where it went. It was more, I guess, the execution of it. I, it yeah. And and that was an interesting thing about this film in general is that it really it lacks a certain polish and in a lot of areas i think the film actually benefits from that i just didn't yeah. feel that the ending benefited from it i guess um the manner of their death essentially just coming down to sheer dumb luck of two guys in a pickup truck going well let's shoot this shotgun oh no we accidentally hit him got to go finish the job now yeah. kind of felt a bit I guess I just don't want to believe there's people in the south that do that i guess that's <laughs> what it is it's me going i really hope Billy Bob and Joey Joe, whoever they are, don't yeah. don't go around and just randomly shoot twelve gauges at passing motorbikes. But just then you're, they you're talking like what five years after the events of Mississippi burning. Where, yeah, mm. like, you, you, know. You know, and, you know, again, I'm trying the, to be optimistic, Murray. The, these people would have grown up as kids going to the lynching. Hey, Ma. Hey, and, Pa. Let's yeah. go to the lynching. And you, you're you're less than a year out from the events of Kent State, where. Yeah, you know, you had the National Guard opening fire on students at, at mm. Ohio Kent State University. Mm. So these were, I think, for the youth of that time, these felt like dangerous times. Yeah, you, know, you were either going to get shipped off to Vietnam, or mm. God forbid, you were going to be shot by the National Guard at home. And I think mm. the Vietnam thing, uh, now that you bring that up, is interesting because I think that also is part of it definitely adds a flavor to it. it it's i think it definitely adds particularly to why it's displacement yeah because the main sort of social message and and this is you know 68 they would have been filming this 69 it came out that's when you really started getting those bigger protests against yeah. the war um when it obviously began a few years earlier and you've got these these young characters because um peter fonda would have been in his late 20s when this was shot mm. and um uh, Dennis Hopper in his early 30s they I think have particularly with Wyatt he's a young member of society who doesn't feel as though he belongs yeah. for many different reasons and one of those as, as one of those could be the fact that yeah that there's this war that's going on which clearly he doesn't support mm. because he's not out fighting in it or yeah. it doesn't seem to show sentiments and i think that makes the fact that he's dressed in all this american garb like his bikes american themed really interesting him, just every time you saw like a full shot of him with his jacket and his helmet and his bike mm. i just sat there thinking of the um i'm terrible at band names but the born in the usa uh bruce springsteen yeah and how that is a commentary on vietnam and obviously, I'm I'm pretty sure this would predate Born in the USA. Yes. Just like I kept thinking, oh, I think it, it reminds me of like Hotel California. Mm. And I think it's all because those songs are all referencing um, the same thing that this film is referencing, which is, yeah, that clash of, of culture between young generation and old generation and mm. 
And mm. well, it was a huge upheaval. I mean, it was it was yeah. enormous. So you had in, you know, we're, we're talking the sixties here. So in '68, you had you know the assassination of Robert Kennedy. Mm-hmm. You had the death of Martin Luther King. You had the whole civil rights yeah, movement. Starting, you had the space race. You had the Vietnam starting, War. Starting to it see was, the end of all yeah. that hope that the early 60s had brought. And this is about the time that the, the big hippie dream went sour. Mm. So this is months out before Altamont and the, the Rolling Stones concert there and the Hells Angels killing a couple of people. And that was basically seen as the time that the whole hippie culture just sort of died really i've never heard of that um, another time perhaps but um <laughs> it, this is towards the end of the yeah. big dream the summer of love's over mm. yeah. san francisco um is you know the, the the you know that whole thing is starting to wind down mm. um so yeah. this is yeah i don't know maybe that's it it's an allegory for how um the the whole dream is starting to fade mm. and you know you can see in that bit where they go to the communities Wyatt's looking at them and shaking their head when they're trying to sow crops it's like you're sowing crops but there's no rain man mm. um how long can this go on mm. and yeah i think that in itself is probably the the, the idea here is that this whole thing was starting to wind up mm. yeah um, you mentioned music before, Murray. Mm. Um, I thought the use of music in this film was pretty excellent. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I, I was not disappointed with the soundtrack. Yeah, obviously we we all knew about the Born to be Wild, Steppenwolf, mm. brash beginning. Mm. Uh, you know, like, Two dudes on motorbikes, here they go, big adventure, yeah. And then the songs Mutton get... chops and moustaches. Yeah, and then the songs get more and more self-reflective, mm. contemplative, and even morose the further the film goes on. I think that the soundtrack is beautifully paced. Yeah. And um, some wonderful performers in there as well. You mentioned the birds. Um, mm. Murray, as we were watching it, there was also Jimi Hendrix, Hendrix. Mm. the band, uh, Roger McGuinn. You know, there's there's all these great performers of their time. Um, and it's just... I, I really think the, the use of the soundtrack elevates this film a fair bit yeah. and special mention for don't bogart my spliff i, mm. I did enjoy that one too yeah <laughs> yeah don't I've, be greedy man don't bogart that spliff yeah hand it over but yeah the term bogarting uh to mean being I'd greedy never heard of that I, I, it's something i've come across before yeah. and i was very happy to see it being used here we should all who would be the modern day hollywood actor like humphrey bogart that we would use oh clooney the, maybe i don't know don't clooney my spliff don't clooney my spliff man but i feel like he's he's don't a Damon fairly generous person mm. yeah i don't think it would be clooney wouldn't be clooney cigar don't cigar oh, i don't know no he's not maybe, i don't think he's relevant enough that's the, that's the problem maybe matt damon well, matt's don't, fairly generous yeah yeah but he's also um i guess it depends on what area you're talking about yeah He's 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 been known to to um, be a guardian of his white privilege. Ah, okay. A little bit. Don't Damon my spliff. Okay, mm. I'll go with it. Maybe I don't know. Think I, on it. Think on it, people. Yeah. I don't I don't read enough gossip. Leave columns. your commentary. Who is the modern actor that we can equate to bogarting the spliff? <laughs> I'm going to say it'd be Don't Depp My Spliff, actually. Don't Depp My Spliff. Yeah. I think, yeah. His, it's got to be someone who's got a baddish reputation, but mm. not um, full Weinstein, as I'm going to call yes. it. Right. Yeah. Yes. It's got to be It's got to be somewhere in the middle. 
Oh, we can't do Keanu Reeves. He's he's too no, nice. He's, no, yeah, he's, he's nice. Yeah. Uh, I tell you what, it'll be. Don't Sandler my spliff. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. Go with that. Because th- he's hugging up too many movies. <laughs> <laughs> too many bad, bad movies. Mm. Um, Spread the bad movies around. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's look. This film is is just. I, I found myself really engaging with this film more mm. so than I expected to, and more so than I think a lot of um, the recent films we've done on the show have, yeah. have, have done. It's it's a it's extremely well put together despite the fact that it does have this sort of loose um feel to it like the fact that it's mm. partly improvised for and example. you have to be a big fan of jump cuts well yeah now i got, I got used to it as it went on because the, the it, flash guess, cut yeah i yeah. guess because as it became a motif i was like oh, okay yeah i see what you're doing here. i did not love the flash transition i'll be no. honest where it's like shot from the next scene shot from the last scene next last next mm. last next and it was yeah. kind of like i get what you're doing and it's interesting. I don't think I've seen other films using it, but I'm glad it's not a common uh, technique. Because... But once again, this is at a time when you're moving away from a lot of the staid sort of shooting that yeah. had been going on with the, yeah. the big Hollywood productions. And now you're getting into the realms of people trying different yeah. things. I mean, some of the stuff they tried in this film, I really liked. Like the, the LSD tripping sequence in the graveyard was freaky as all get out but was really i thought a really effective communication of the huge emotional range that those characters were feeling i liked it i just didn't want it to go on for as long long. as it did yep i'm with you i'd I'd agree with you it's got a little bit of the 2001s where it's kind of like we get it this is interesting and Mm. yeah the the jump cuts made me think of um and i don't know how true this is but a, a lecturer of mine once said how Jaws, for example, was so, such a groundbreaking film because of that opening shot. And I haven't seen Jaws, so I'm taking it off <clears> his word. Um, the opening shot where the camera is <clears throat> alongside the boat as the boat's riding along the water. Mm. And I feel like that's sort of the the end result of how they've filmed or, or how they've done films like this. Mm. Um the, the jump cuts, and it's been a while since I have seen it, kind of also made me think of the movie Memento. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I was like, oh, maybe it's... And I I, I think it was also partly for like a... In, in the words, partly as also as an interest thing, mm. like keeping, the, keeping it a bit funky or whatever. But I think it also did reference... It was like the beginning of the LSD trip bit mm. like if we didn't have the jump cuts the lsd pit bit would have stood out even more strangely yeah and not in a good way yeah, yeah. I, I i i agree I, mm. I think to be honest it's 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 a very interestingly edited film yeah and at the beginning the editing didn't look too flash it yeah. but but i think as you and particularly because it's a very different type of filmmaking than yeah. we're used to seeing um contemporarily i think once at least I felt once I'd adjusted to it, I mm. felt that no, there is a style here, there is a rhythm, yeah. and it's it is actually reasonably well put together, even yeah. if some of it does feel a bit clunky in parts. Mm. And it inspired so many um, other road movies oh, yeah. after it. I mean, this this sort of kicked off a whole bunch. So you know, once again, within a couple of years, you had films like. 
um, two-lane blacktop, um, vanishing point. Um, Peter Fonda even did another um, film which has a a rather shocking ending as a road movie called um, Dirty Mary Crazy Larry. And... um, once again, it's this this whole idea that the trip itself is a is an interesting spectacle. You know, you're mm. seeing those sweeping vistas of you know um, desert in the background and, it could and all almost, that kind of the, stuff. The first half of this film could almost be a tourist video, mm, for, a travelogue. Yeah, mm-hmm. for um for the southern states of America. Yeah, but it's interesting how many of these road movies have that um, ending where our hero meets with a, a really nasty end. Mm. Um, so yeah, this was this was probably you know one of the, the first have done that. In a yeah. way, I suppose um, Bonnie and Clyde's almost similar because mm. that's that's it's, almost a bit of a road movie. It's almost like they're trying to make the commentary that once you've had that freedom that the road gives you, you can't go back into society. So you have to die, mm. whether it's through you your choice on, or not. Or you carry on living on the road. Yeah. Because, and I think once Billy said, I'm gonna, you know, we're rich and we're going to go to Florida mm. and you've got uh, Wyatt going, no, man, we blew it. I, I think that's such an interesting... Mm. Why does he say that? Saying, yeah, well, mm. that's just it. I don't I, I know. Think I, well, I think... Well, yeah. I think it's a generational thing. I yeah. think he means the gener- his generation blew it. We yeah. had this opportunity for something wonderful, man, mm. where we could all love and be at peace and you know, we could just live have the, the most amazing live. future, mm. but we screwed it up. Yeah. Mm. So I don't think it's a, um, him meaning that they specifically blew it. Yeah. It's a generational thing. We blew mm. it, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's it it is it is surprisingly deep. Um, before we move on, we should touch on um, the character of George the lawyer, played mm. by yeah. Jack Nicholson. Um, he's really good in this. Yeah, he is. It's it's nice seeing Jack Nicholson before he became Jack Nicholson, the impression that people do. Yeah. Um, he's and you know he's a reasonably good-looking young man in this. You know, he's probably what in his early 30s I'd say at this time and I he's think, I think he's still might have still been in his 20s okay. at this yeah because is this before One Flew Over the Cuckoo's oh movies? yeah six and years before yeah, um, yeah but he'd, he'd done a couple of films um, leading up to this directed by a guy called Monty Hellman mm. who was also a bit of a um, an auteur in his own way uh, and this had established Nicholson as as um, being a, you know your um, interesting sort of uh, sort of leading man, yeah. And you know, off the back of that and this, he went on to um, do five easy pieces, and then his career sort of exploded mm. from there. He was thirty-one when they filmed this. Thirty-one, oh. yeah. okay. So yeah, he's um, and his character's you know he's an alcoholic lawyer who goes when he gets a really strong mm. drink, um, which you know is an interesting affectation. Mm. Um, but. He's a compelling character for the 20 minutes or so he's in the film. Yeah. Um, and, like, the conversations about, like, UFOs um, and trying him trying weed for the first time um, is... I really liked the way that his character was written and performed because it breaks up that dynamic a little bit between our two protagonists, between Billy and between Wyatt, uh, and stops that from becoming stale. Yeah. Um because I think if it was just Billy and Wyatt for the whole movie, 
we'd have a lot less dialogue and they'd probably have gotten on each other's nerves a bit more mm. um i i thought yeah uh george was a really interesting instigating factor in the middle and he gets horribly murdered <laughs> which was mm. again quite shocking yeah and i think that's also that also works into uh how wyatt probably sees um how he's not going to be able to go back into society because here's this guy who is part of a society albeit he's he's a drunk and probably not a great part of society mm. but he is part of like his little town yeah um and he obviously has some influence and some position and he goes and joins them and just by doing that he's within several days he's dead and I think he, maybe he's, he's, he's trying for that little bit of freedom, mm. yeah. but no, you can't have that. And, yeah. he discusses- and once again, I think this whole thing, the whole film, is allegorical. That mm. mm. you know, you you can test the boundaries and you can kick against the pricks, but dude, you do that and you're going to get shut down. Mm. Yeah. And and I, to that, if you know, to that point, it's actually quite nihilistic. Yeah. It's it's actually quite a sad film. Yeah. Yeah, massively. I was just thinking, actually, prior to... Like, if the film continued in the vein that it was after they left the commune, like, really happy, like, they didn't meet George and um, it didn't end the way it did, it would have been quite a happy film, quite a, look, we can... Look how free we can be. Um, And so, yeah, I was quite surprised by the second half of the film to see it being quite introspective and quite critical of, well, of it, the wider society and the culture that they're trying to. Um, well, I think that the the, the idea that that Fonda, I think it was Fonda wrote it, wasn't it? Uh, it's co-written between co-written, Fonda, uh, Fonda and, and and Hopper, I think, and, and Hopper and the uh, screenwriter whose name is escaping me. I think it's Terry Staunton. I'll just, okay, I'll just look that so, up. So, I think the idea that they're trying to get across here is wake up. You hmm. you. You you you're running out of time here. Uh, Terry Southern was the other one. Yeah, Terry Southern. Okay. Yeah. So wake up. You're running out of time here, and your dream is disappearing. And mm. if you look at it in that way, it's as I say, it's actually quite sad, isn't it? Yeah. Really. Mm. Um, would you guys like some trivia about Easy Rider? Yes, oh, there must be a fair bit. Well, uh, there is. Uh, it is mostly to do with Dennis Hopper. Uh, I've got to be <laughs> honest, mm. right up front. Um, because Dennis Hopper was a little bit of a wild child. Oh, really? <laughs> hey, I didn't know that. I didn't well, know much about his career, though. Get ready to learn. Um, <laughs> our first bit of trivia. Dennis Hopper and Peter Fonda did not write a full script for this film and made up a lot of it along the way. They also didn't hire a crew, but instead picked up hippies at communes across the country and used <laughs> friends and passers-by to hold the cameras. Um Everyone, Maybe, in, everyone involved was a bit drunk and stoned at the time. <laughs> Maybe that's why the, the jump cut became a motif, because like <laughs> we've got to clean this up somehow. Yeah, the editor's like, what? You expect me to make what with this? A whole film? <laughs> ah. um, during Jack Nicholson's UFO speech, Dennis Hopper was intent on getting him very stoned on marijuana. Uh, the laugh that eventually <laughs> broke up his speech was not planned, and Nicholson ends up repeating the line, the it would be devastating in the next take. Uh, Nicholson was largely able to stick to the script as written, much to the crew's amazement. Uh, this is in stark contrast to the other cast members who were forced to improvise their lines because they were completely <laughs> baked. <laughs> so, ever the professional. Oh, yeah. I have to say, yeah, Jack Nicholson looking at that joint and pretending to not know what a joint was, like, <laughs> as, just as an acting performance, was excellent. Well done, Jack. <laughs> 
Um, Peter Fonda wore the Captain America jacket and rode his chopper a, for a week around Los Angeles before they began shooting to give it a broken-in look. And uh, also, it was a bit of a interestingly designed bike. He mm. needed to get used to riding it. Uh, the American flag on the back of the jacket and the gas tank on the bike caused him to be pulled over several times by the police. Hmm? Ah, yeah, because the Americans have a bit of a thing. And I remember in the Sydney Olympics, I think, the American relay team, men's relay team, um, they don't like, they're very conscious about the flag not being disrespected. Mm. And there is argument that if you, like, I think it's even in the Constitution, you're not supposed to use the flag as clothing or as adornment because uh, that's disrespectful. Mm. So, and I remember in the, I think it was the Sydney Olympics. Um, yeah, the men's relay team, after they'd won, they did a victory lap with the flag hung around as capes and they got absolutely blasted back in the States. Probably had something also to do with the fact that they were all black. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yes. That might have been more. Yeah, mm. yeah. But it doesn't surprise me. I mean, mm. uh, you can imagine, you know, typical... Bully boy cops back in those days doing that just to mm. cause some strife. Yeah. Probably took one look at those sideburns. Yeah. Uh, Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper and Jack Nicholson were actually smoking marijuana on camera. Uh, LSD was not used, though, um, for the acid scene. Uh, Peter oh. Fonda had previously stated that it was, but everyone else has since gone, no, it wasn't. We, <laughs> that, was, that was actually acting. I Maybe don't just... honestly think you could actually shoot... If you're on LSD, mm. maybe maybe that they just be, told Peter it the, was the footage LSD. would be completely unsalvageable. Mm. Maybe they just told him it was LSD. Mm. Dennis Hopper was going through a very bad time during production, uh, something that he later put down to marijuana not being, quote, his creative drug of choice, end quote. Uh, he was in a state of drug-induced paranoia and screamed at everyone. Crew members oh secretly recorded his tirades and sent the tapes to the production company in LA to explain why so many of them were quitting the film. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Mm. So, again, was Dennis Hopper acting in this film? <laughs> <laughs> Captain America, or Wyatt's uh, chopper, was so squirrely, quote, uh, to ride that at one point Jack Nicholson squeezed his knees on Fonda's side to balance himself and did it so tightly he broke one of Fonda's ribs. Oh my gosh. Lovely. That's, mm. that's intense. I've never ridden a motorbike. I, ha- I would not have any um, wish to get on a bike such as that one. The easy rider. Mm. It mm. looks anything but, to be honest. It doesn't look well, terribly stable, does it? No. I think they're considered an easy rider because you'd lean back more than in mm. your traditional bike. Yeah, but it, it does just look. Look, I mean, it exploded at the end and Billy's didn't. I think it's just because it's not as well built a bike. It's also yeah. the one that we see that's oh, broken. Oh, it's your down. classic American chopper. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Flashy and useless. Uh, <laughs> The rednecks in the Louisiana coffee shop who taunt the boys and the two in the pickup truck at the end of the movie were all local residents um, hired by the filmmakers. Uh, In the case of the coffee shop denizens, the filmmakers were preparing to audition a group of local theatre people when Dennis Hopper saw some of them uh, making wisecracks and decided to just use them. So they just saw these actual guys in the South making wisecracks on the side of the road. That always interests me when they do that because did those people then go see the end film or even just during the scene, you realise that they're being made out to be the bad guys. I, I honestly don't think it would have bothered them. They would have gone, hey, Billy Bob, look at that, I'm up on the screen. Or maybe they just didn't go see the film. 
I'm a right movie star now. Well, I mean, it would have been a pretty big deal to be an easy rider. And, you know, bit of fun. I get yeah. to shoot, you know, the guy in the truck. I get to shoot Dennis Hopper off a motorbike. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Um, for the famous soliloquy that Peter Fonda does in the cemetery whilst tripping on acid, uh, Dennis Hopper asked Peter to talk to the statue as if it was his mother. Now, Peter mm. Fonda's mother um, committed suicide when he was 10. Mm. Um, and so Peter was essentially confronting his feelings about his mother um, when he's talking to that statue. And so, you know, he's saying these lines, um, yeah. you know, about it's like, why did you leave me? I hate you, but I love you and things like that. Um, which doesn't necessarily sound terribly healthy. Um, but later on, Peter well, said... I don't think he had a particularly healthy childhood. No, not particularly. Um, yeah. But the scene itself uh, persuaded Bob Dylan to allow the use of his song It's All Right, Ma, in one of the final scenes, mm. uh, which contains lyrics that reference suicide. Uh, Peter reportedly told Dylan at a later date that uh, I need to hear those words, and he agreed um, for it to be used. So... It, it's one of those things that comes up every now and then in films yeah. where we talk about, uh, particularly with things like method acting, where by and large, a lot of the times when method acting is brought up, it's brought up quite negatively. It's brought mm. up because of the the bad impacts that it can have. And I'm just, I'm just curious about what are your feelings on method acting? Like making an actor talk to a statue as though it's his real mother who committed suicide do you think there is a place for that if all parties agree or do you feel that it's too much i think it depends on on the actor for a start as to whether or not um that's actually going to bring across a performance that's that's worth watching you look at anything that de niro did in his early days it's all method acting Mm. um and you know he he pretty much inhabited those characters mm. um i'm trying to think of a bad example uh, I can't, well yeah. if, for example recent examples would be like jared leto in suicide squad who mm-hmm. you know reportedly yeah. was like sending letters with like or like pie packages with like dead rats and stuff to cast members and mm. things like that or heath ledger i think is a particularly well-known method actor mm. yeah so i mean yeah there's there's as you say there's extremes here um, I think giving a direction along those lines might have actually been bloody helpful because mm. <laughs> you're acting with a statue. Um, unless you're in the right place, you, you're probably going to feel a certain amount of stupidity mm. um, sitting or standing there emoting to, to a piece of stone. So yeah. something's got to help. I think it's more just looking at the, the emotional health of Peter Fonda mm. themselves, like mm. subsequent to doing the performance um and you know his his face he's got tears streaming down his face in that in that shot where he's like up against the 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 statue's head and it's just one of those things that i personally look at and i'm not necessarily sure i don't think i would find it healthy and i'm not necessarily sure that it's when it's that extreme it's it's a benefit to those involved i think it is only purely of benefit to a performance and that shouldn't always come first no. Yeah, so you're talking about whether or not it's a cathartic thing, or yeah, or even just if it's healthy, I guess. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I think it's again, it's a case by case thing. It's about whether or not one uses certain methods correctly, or, or sort of pushes them a bit too far. It, I felt a bit uncomfortable um, I, with it, to be mm. perfectly honest. Okay. I think a good example of where, particularly in current times, uh, where method acting 
they're really finding it that it's not the best mm. um, is in sex scenes. Okay. Because there's been so there's been decades of films of who are like ooh they went method and actually had sex on camera or various things like I'm thinking Last Tango in Paris with the stick of butter kind of deal, mm. and I recently um, because I go to Whopper and where being an arts education facility there's a lot of talk particularly after Me Too about intimacy directors Mm. and about how choreographing those very intimate emotionally and physically intimate acts and how that can be healthier for the for the actor Mm. because like for example the last tango in paris um that woman that actress never worked again Mm. after that and there's been so many i i personally don't think method acting is the be all and end all i think it's the it's the arena of the wanker director and the wanker actor mm. who who's like I'm going to put myself through this awful experience just for something that might be marginally better or actually I could just use my skill. Mm. Um, but then there's there's others who would say that it's um, it, it, it's it's a benefit to the performance on the screen. Once again, you look at. Mm. De Niro in mm. The Untouchables, where yeah. he basically physically transformed himself mm. to look like Al Capone. <laughs> yeah, even uh, even in this film, when you've got Peter Fonda who who wears all this stuff and rides around the bike mm. for a week beforehand to give it that warning look, that you could argue is method acting. That's somebody yeah. who's like getting some off camera, off screen yeah. experience and then bringing it to the film. But that's just research. Well, mm. I, but I, I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's a lot of method acting. To be honest, going on in this film, I think a lot of it is just on, is pretty just much them. Yeah. Um, well, meth acting maybe method less so. Um, yeah. This is one of the first films to make use of um, extensive use, sorry, of previously recorded musical tracks rather than a specifically written film score. Uh, obviously, this is quite common yeah. now, but uh, it was unusual at the time, with the exceptions being the films of the Beatles, uh, mm. obviously because they were just using their own music. Yeah, um, and again. They used it beautifully. They, yeah. they used it really well. I think this film could be why, you know, you've got the way we use soundtracks these days, yeah. even with things like um, the Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. where they, it, they use that makes... soundtrack to give uh, more of Peter Quill's character um, time to spread out across the film. It makes sense, the soundtrack, because because they that counterculture was so wrapped up in music and connected to it and... I think if they had used any other type of music, or music specifically for the film, it would have hit a false note, mm. to pun intended. Oh, it definitely needed to have the soundtrack that mm. it did. I don't think you would have it would have worked with a with a orchestral soundtrack, to be honest. But even if they had done rock tracks that um, weren't like were made just made for the film, mm. uh, I don't think that would have struck the right note. Again, pun intended. Mm. Um, whereas using music that was already available, may I, I'd imagine, as a if you were going there when it, when the film premiered, you're like, oh, I know that song. You can I know act. that how it makes me feel. And mm-hmm. I, I know what they're trying to tell me. Yeah. Once again, it's pitching to your audience because yeah. at the end of the day, every film is made with the intent that it makes a profit. Or almost every film. Mm. Um, and they were obviously pitching at a certain audience, mm. and you know you want to get 
get them in. It's a great film to watch. But by the way, guys, it's got a stonking soundtrack. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Rip Torn was originally cast in the role of George Hansen, the lawyer. Oh, good grief. Um, according to Torn, Dennis Hopper pulled a knife on him during a pre-production meeting, so he God. left. Mm. Um, on the Jay Leno show, uh, many years later, Hopper then claimed it was Torn that pulled the knife, Torn sued Hopper for defamation, and won. Ah. So uh, there was a knife, there was, and someone was Torn, uh, but we... We figured it out in the end, but yeah. I think if I was Dennis Hopper, I would probably go with what people told me I had done anything before, <laughs> say, 1993. Yeah. Dennis, you definitely did it. Okay, if you said I did, I obviously did it. Mm. Um, whilst the actors did smoke real marijuana, the cocaine scene at the start of the film is fake. That is uh, because, according to Peter Fonda, they couldn't afford the real thing. <laughs> I think they they had half a million bucks budget. Yeah. You would have thought there could have been something in there for the cocaine. I remember. I think I read a thing about like the Blues Brothers film. There mm. was a a cocaine budget. Oh, probably for Belushi. Yeah, yeah. undoubtedly. <laughs> the New Orleans Cemetery in Saint uh, Louis uh, is a Catholic cemetery. Mm. They did not have permission to film there, and Catholic audience members were shocked to see that the church had allowed this. Uh, they hadn't, obviously. Yeah. So since then, no films have been allowed to shoot at that cemetery unless it's for a documentary and they have expressed permission. Mm. It, uh, the interview with the vampire, the Vampire Chronicles, and Double Jeopardy, and lots of other films have all used the nearby Lafayette Cemetery, which is Protestant. But yeah, so they, that whole scene with like you know naked ladies and mm. like simulated and sex Mary. and crying and all that kind of stuff they didn't have permission to be there and um, kind of not surprised yeah <laughs> guerrilla filmmaking i mm. love it the 1962 1200 cc harleys driven by the main characters in the film were purchased from the los angeles police department harley davidson refused to provide free bikes for the film because quote the protagonists were outlaws and they thought it was bad for their image end quote what kind of image did that's, Harley Davidson think they had? That's interesting, <laughs> given I'm sure that the bike of choice at the, for the Hells Angels is Harley Davidson. Maybe nowadays mm. they would think about it differently. I mm. mean, when was Hells Angels... When did Hells Angels start being a thing? Oh, it, definitely um, in the... I think either the late 50s or the early 60s. Yeah. Because the Hells Angels basically grew out of returned servicemen um, yeah. who were bored and um, considered themselves outside the law. Uh, the Hells Angels were founded on March the 17th, 1948 in oh, okay. San Bernardino, California. Mm. Founder's name, uh, Otto Friedley, just for fun. Uh, so, yeah, they, they've been going for a while, but I think they yeah. they were big, I suppose, or famous by the time you got to the late 60s. Yeah. I think that's partly why our characters were, why Billy and Wyatt were not allowed to stay in the motel, for example, because it's yeah. like they're on bikes, they're bikers, mm. ooh, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. Peter Fonda wanted Crosby, Stills and Nash to do the soundtrack, and Dennis Hopper refused, telling the band that anyone who drove around in limos as they did had no comprehension of the film, telling them, if you guys try and get into the studio again, I may have to cause you some bodily harm. (laughs) Yeah, I'd agree with Hopper in that if someone's riding around around in a limo, yeah, they're probably not going to get the whole Mm. concept of the film. And they may have to cause you bodily harm is quite polite for Dennis Hopper. Yeah. Which is interesting given that um, they begged um, Bob Dylan for, for a song. So yeah. Is he considered a sellout? Well, yeah, pretty much after he went electric. But um, but did he go electric by this point? Oh, he had gone electric by oh, this okay. point. Yeah. Well, 
You win some, you lose some. Hmm. Uh, the bridge, uh, seen in the opening credits, uh, which is the Old Trails Arch Bridge, mm. uh, bridge in Topak, Arizona, is the same bridge that Peter Fonda's father, Henry, crossed whilst playing Tom Joad in the film The Grapes of Wrath in 1940. Oh, wow. It's just a cool, fun reference for any Grapes of Wrath fans out there. Cause, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't recognize it watching it, but yeah, I was like, oh. I haven't seen Grapes of Wrath. Pretty good. I haven't I read the book uh, either. The depression. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, I, again, it's been a long time since I've watched it, and we'll probably get to it someday on this program. <laughs> but I remember it being not terrible. So. No, no, it's it's it's, yeah, it's a great film from memory. I think it won a whole bunch of Oscars. Hmm. While filming in the South, the crew were intimidated by locals. Dennis Hopper entered a bar and a man took a swing at him. Behind him was the sheriff. As a joke, Hopper said, Hi there, I'm hitchhiking to the Peace March, whereupon eight men jumped him. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Like, it's amazing. And you kind of. So they're basically living out the film. Yeah. I just like Dennis Hopper just going, like, I really want to get punched today. <laughs> and it's funny how we were talking earlier about this is kind of. You, you see some issues cropping up in the film that you, you kind of see nowadays as well. Um, you go you go to the South, well, I've heard stories at least, if you go to the South and say that you're not a Trump supporter and you'll probably get swung at because he's saving the country and you're the problem with the world. Um, oh, the South is a very interesting place because it's still highly um, structured around uh, that... Um, uh, you know, fear of God. Mm. Um, so there's a heavy religious undertone. You mind your P's and Q's. Um, and there's that lingering, I think, discontent with the fact that um, they lost the Civil War. So I think it's partly that. I also think... Um, I feel as though that the image that is presented of the South in films like this is very much the image that is presented by people who are not from there though yeah i think that that is a big part of it that we should acknowledge because yeah i mean there are people in the south who are probably um well who are nothing like the the caricatures which are shown to be um, i know a couple of or them. even even of that time yeah they wouldn't have been yeah like and that. even like yeah contemporary people who uh, mm. for example if you're listening hi brian uh who likes to listen in georgia um but he, he, he i've met him and he's He's somebody who is completely different from this sort yeah. of very typical Forrest Gumpian uh, sort of approach that, to, to people from the South that they have. And I think while certainly there are issues that people have with the way that their culture operates and is certainly something which um, should be examined and should mm. be looked at and discussed, I think it is also maybe a good point just to point out for any of our people who are listening yeah. from the South or who have connections there that... Um, sometimes these viewpoints that are that are set up by outsiders can be extreme yeah at, at the same time Stephen, once again you've got to remember the, the time at which this film was made and you're looking at a south which is only a few years um uh at the point where they had been told you will integrate your schools mm. um so there was a fair amount of simmering discontent yeah. with what was coming out of Washington and those, you know, those damn Yankees and mm. yeah, and, um, yeah. There, there, there is definitely still a culture of yeah. that even today in two thousand. Yeah, but more so, I think back. back I would in those definitely days. agree with that. Yeah. I think I, it was more obvious. Yeah, 
maybe. Or yeah. maybe we have hindsight now. Possibly. To, to see. I think I think it's a really interesting um, sort of social issue. And um, it's, it's just one of the most fascinating things that comes out of yeah. this examination of Americana. I think you're right in that the, the South is definitely being viewed by outsiders and particularly Northern Yankees, for want of a better word, um, view, which I think you're right, Stephen, we do need to acknowledge that that is not always the best way mm. and it's not always the fairest way, particularly since um, Northern states were just as racist, but it just was hidden a lot. And once you start looking into the mm. history of things like segregation, uh, like redlining mm. and all that kind of stuff, and the fact that segregation is still a big issue in the northern states just as much as the southern states. Yeah, but I, I think it, more, more so that I, I think we've also got to remember that this is more a um, the establishment versus the youth culture. Yeah. Right. So it's not it's not necessarily a southern um, attitude anyway. Because if we think back to the film, when it first starts, they are not in the south, and the guy comes out with the no vacancy sign yeah. at the moment. Yeah, no, I, so, I, I agree. This film is definitely much more of a look at culture and look at you know um, n- new ways versus old ways than it is looking at things like segregation or but race. But I think generally speaking, they're still even by just saying it's it's the new culture versus the old that is still a representation of the North versus South. Because the new culture gets its start in New York, gets its start in San Francisco, um, and it's fought against by the establishments of the South. I don't think you should underestimate, though, that hippies were not... Um, they 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 oh, yeah. were reviled. They, um, they, they were they were nationwide <laughs> and they by were certain groups, right? But by concerned citizens and parents and yeah. congressmen and 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 the such like, who saw them as dangerous. Yeah, and ungrateful. That that was the other thing as yeah. well. Ungrateful, right? Mm. Your mm. father went and fought in the Pacific yeah, for you, and you know, yeah, what are you doing? You know, you should be off in Vietnam fighting for the the country, and you're sitting here smoking spliffs and hugging sheep you know yeah um so you've got to understand that there was that that real uh, us versus them mm. it's mm. almost as though it's a very complex social issue which yeah. has um, got many layers and should be discussed which repeatedly was, which i think was very su- what surprised me the most i think i may have already said this mm. uh, what surprised me the most about this film I was expecting the the counterculture to be put in a fairly positive light, which it was generally at the beginning of the film. I wasn't expecting, like said, um, the introversion and the and and the sorrow that we saw by the end of the film, mm. which, as awful as it is in a way, because it kind of proves well, it it shows that humanity is still a bit crap, mm. and we. Yeah, it was showing that I guess that um, potential loss of hope that we've discussed already. Mm. Um, well, it was the end of the sixties, yeah, and which, the dream was dying, as I say. So, yeah, which I think gives yeah. it a more. Tape La Bianca killings were just a month away after yeah. this film. Yeah, debuted. And yeah. I and I just think it gives it a more well. I think if it had ended well, if it if it was just like a look peace and love and counterculture is awesome it wouldn't i don't think it w- i don't think we'd be watching it today yeah. i think if they rode off into the sunset or yeah. i think the original plan was i think they buy a boat 
and sail <laughs> off into the sunset uh, in one of the original versions of yeah. what the script was. I, I agree. I don't think it would have that same impact. Mm. The final bit of trivia I've got is more in the salacious celebrity gossip area. Ooh. And it features uh, Dennis Hopper violence and, and uh, a bit of hanky-panky. Uh, so... <laughs> A paranoid Dennis Hopper demanded that cameraman Barry Feinstein hand over all footage he'd shot so that he could keep it safe in his room. An enraged Feinstein hurled the film cans at him and the two got into a brawl where they fell through the door of one of the motel rooms. They got up and stared at the sight of Peter Fonda in bed with Karen Black and Tony Basil. Uh, (laughs) Black has uh, subsequently denied this. Uh, Feinstein wasn't distracted for long and threw a television set at Hopper. (laughs) That's, Very rock and roll. That's just got a yep. bit of everything in it. It's that's that's the whole, you know, Keith Moon, um, the Who, Led Zeppelin. That's the mm. whole lot thrown in, isn't yeah. it? Really, that would have been an exciting minute in that mm. particular yeah. room. Yeah, it would have been. Yes. Do you mind? Close the door. I'm busy. Mm. Uh, so all that remains is for us to score Easy Rider. Mm. Uh, Katrina, you get to go first because it was your first time watching the film. What are you going to give Easy Rider mm. out of ten? Um, what can I give it? I'm going to give it seven and a half jump cuts um, out of ten. Just because it did surprise me. It's not the best film. I don't know if I'd watch it again. I think it would be interesting to watch after having a drink or two. Um, and again, I think I, I said this last with the last movie that I reviewed with you. It's definitely a film that I'd put on at a party. Yeah, I'd, I'd see that. Yeah. Uh, Murray, what about you? What would you give this film out of 10? Uh, Stephen, I'll give the film six and a half solid spliffs. <laughs> nice. Uh, for me, um, again, I, I think this is a really good film and certainly a really important film. Um, it's, But it's probably, again, not one where I'm going to go, yeah, going to watch Easy Rider again this weekend. Woo! It's... But it's not trying to be that sort of film. Yeah. It is trying to talk about an important message of its time. And I think it's interesting how so many of those themes still feel quite relevant 50 years on. Yeah. And like this film does not look 50 years old. It, or at least it doesn't feel like it's a 50-year-old movie. Even yeah. though it's very grounded in 60s culture. It's um, it's, a, it's a really interesting film. And I definitely say that it's, it's worth watching. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give it seven hippie theatrical performances ah. out of ten. We didn't really talk too much about the commune. No, we didn't. But I loved the, the little balding guy who was doing all his performing stuff and the lady with the pharaoh-type wig uh, just trying to do their performances in the middle of this shack which has got animals in it and hippies sleeping in hammocks. It was, it was hoo-ha on a bad night, Stephen. Hoo-ha never has a bad night, Murray Jackson. <laughs> Murray and Katrina, it was an absolute delight to have you here. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Far out, man. Right, easy, Stephen. Uh, I will. Uh, and for those of you listening at home, please ride easy as well. In fact, ride all the way over to our Facebook page because that's the free uh, road spirit you want. Visiting Facebook uh, to leave us comments or messages about what you enjoyed about this film. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or tell us if we blew it, man. 
we may very well have done. Uh, You can also become, uh, speaking of uh, not embracing capitalism, you can join our (laughs) Patreon page and give us money to help us keep making these. Just go to patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast. And for ultimate freedom from this show, subscribe so that it'll turn up at your phone each and every week. Just search for us on iTunes or SoundCloud or other podcasting and podcatching services. Uh, But that's all for this week. So until next time, goodbye. Get the motor running. Get the motor running. Get the motor the very you have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.